Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're kind of at the end of the Old Testament part. We're going to start the New Testament next week. Um, (laughs) I know that we have run through. Now, we started out this year, and you said, we're still in Genesis after two months. How is that possible? And I told you we were going to pick up, and I'm going to fly past you. So understand, the major prophets, the minor prophets. John did a great job last week. I appreciate him stepping in and keeping on the flow of this. Uh, Post-Solomon. And we see what happens uh, when a people begin to neglect the Word of God. Because if you really want to summarize the rest of the Old Testament post-Solomon, it is a picture of the people of God neglecting the Word of God. And it, there are exiles as a result of this. There are uh, stories about how they ended up in exile while they were in exile, and then obviously their return to Jerusalem and the repairing of the wall and all the different things that they needed to do, the temple, etc. But in the midst of it, We saw Elijah and Elisha. Boy, we got these prophets. I want to tell you something. These men are amazing individuals, aren't they? What role models for us. Men who are willing, no matter what the cost, to follow God. They were human. You can see that in Elijah after the the victory of the prophets of Baal, and he goes out into the desert. He's scared of a woman. Of course, Jezebel's a little scary. (laughs) But there he goes out out into the desert. And he has to be ministered to by the Lord because he's spiritually worn out. But men who were willing to follow the Lord, women willing to follow the Lord, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequence to their own person. I love Elijah's statement because this really categorizes in so many ways the message of the prophets and all the different men and women of God to the people of God. Choose this day who you will serve. What an amazing thing. You're going to keep serving Baal and the Ashtoreths? You're going to serve these pagan gods? Or are you going to serve the one true living God? What are you going to do? What a beautiful statement. Isaiah was one of the prophets who prophesied about the coming Messiah. Fascinating book of Isaiah. During the time of Hezekiah, the king, Right before the Assyrian invasion. I like what James Smith in in his book called The Major Prophets wrote about Isaiah. Says he has been called the prince of the Old Testament prophets. The Saint Paul of the Old Testament. And the greatest prophet. Isaiah son of Amos was a theologian, reformer, statesman, historian, poet, orator, prince, and patriot. He was prophet of the gospel before the gospel. The fifth evangelist. Boy, when you think about what Isaiah penned and how he saw the glory of God in, a, in an amazing way, the things that he went through, read through the book, it's remarkable. 59 verses of his are specifically about the coming Messiah, about Jesus Christ. He prophesied, you know this verse well, I'm sure. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Wow. Isaiah. You have Elijah and Elisha and so many others, Isaiah included. The rest of the Old Testament, in so many ways, deals with the exile. The exile of the north to Assyria and the south 
to Babylon. And the south is really focused in on because of the Davidic covenant, the promises that were given to David that somebody would be on his throne. David recognized this wasn't just Solomon. He recognized this wasn't just his lineage. This was someone that was coming uh, that he was absolutely amazed was going to be in his line. And we recognize that it was ultimately the Messiah that was going to sit on the throne of David and rule forever. When you begin to look at these different stories, you get kings both good and bad. You get the exiles and their difficulties within the the foreign lands that they were in. You get their return and the, the problems of rebuilding. Jeremiah prophesied about the captivity and the coming Babylonians, as did Habakkuk. And so many others, they began to to share with the people of God, to warn them, who are you going to serve? You've neglected the word of God. You're not following after God. You're following after pagan idols, and the Lord loves you and will discipline you as he said that he would. And he'll use other nations to do so. Ezekiel prophesied during the captivity. Most of the information about the exiles as well as their return per the prophecies given, the struggles they went through, the victories that God's given them, God, the Lord gives to them in the midst of the discipline that he had brought upon them. Specifically of the south, in terms of the exile, we're given the story of Daniel and Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra, the list goes on. But overall, why, why the exiles? Why do we see this? And I would suggest it this way. We see the demise of the people of God due to the neglect of the word of God. Due to the neglect of the word of God. Israel clearly is different than the church. And we're going to start that next week. We want to look at the church and the uniquenesses. Israel really had the law and, and was more physical and material in so many different ways. The land, the health, their wealth, their prosperity, their peace from enemies, their victory in battle. Very tangent, very uh, put your hands on it kind of stuff. There certainly was a sense of God's presence. I mean, you can see this in David's Psalm 51 where he repents of having sinned against the Lord and the, and the Lord only. In his sin with Bathsheba, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. There's clearly a spiritual dynamic to this. We're not just talking all physical. We're not talking all material. But the bent of the blessings that we understand uh, for Israel were very much tangible. The church... All blessings are ours because of our position in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So positionally, we're in Christ, and as a result, it's all ours. It's been given to us. That's called grace because we don't deserve it. And our blessings in so many ways are of a spiritual nature, peace with God. Blessed, filled with his fullness, the presence of the Lord, the grace of God, his children, and all the rights and responsibilities that go along with this. John tells us uh, how great a love the Father has for us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. God's undiminished presence in our lives through his spirit. Beautiful picture. Both Israel and the church have in common 
quite a few things. They have in common the word of God. God's holy word. We're saved by grace through faith. The law wasn't given to Israel, so they had a stepladder to climb in order to get saved. They, they had to recognize that faith mixed with this law. They needed faith in order to understand the spiritual dimensions of the law, and they totally missed it. The Pharisees missed it. They thought they could just keep the law. They thought they could work the works of God. And they actually asked the Lord, what are the works of God that we can work them? And the Lord says, oh, no, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. Saved by grace through faith. I don't care what age you want to go to, whether it's from Adam all the way through. It's by grace through faith. The promise of eternal life or the promise of reward or inheritance, if faithful to walk with God. That goes with us, too. Heaven's a reality because God said it. The question is, as believers, are we walking faithfully with the Lord so that when our work is tested, 1 Corinthians 3, that it will remain because it's from Christ, what he's done in us, and then what we've been willing to walk with him in the midst of. The stark difference between Israel and the church is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit himself as a down payment of our salvation. We as the body of Christ, the church, boy, Ephesians is a beautiful picture of this. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we are given the Holy Spirit as a down payment. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of God comes to live within us. The Holy Spirit now is given as a down payment, never to leave. That and we as the church are not under law, but we are under something. What is it? Grace. We're under grace. Grace has a good and righteous boundary to it. Grace is not the freedom to go do whatever in the world you want. Say, well, I'm forgiven, so I can just (laughs) have at it. No. Grace is the transforming power of God in us to accomplish something that in and of our own strength we could never accomplish. Romans 6.14, Paul makes this very clear. You are no longer, speaking to believers, you are no longer under law, but you are under grace. The law was never given as a means to salvation, but as a means, a way towards salvation in God through believing in him. And the Old Testament saints looked forward to the promise of the one who was to come. We have the privilege of looking back because it's been paid at the cross. It is finished. So there's a very clear difference between the two groups. Salvation is granted to those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of all this, one thing that we can see through all this time is that God has been and continues to orchestrate historical events to bring about his purpose, which is the return of Christ and his literal reign from Jerusalem. That all things would be summed up in Christ. (laughs) So when we look at the Old Testament, we look at the exiles, we look at the people of God, we look at what they've gone through and all the stories, some of the warnings that we can take away from it, some of the encouraging aspects of it, God's faithfulness, in spite of the people of God's unfaithfulness, There's so many different things. What we do know is that God is orchestrating events to bring about his purposes to sum up all things in Christ. That you can bank on. God's at work right now in order to accomplish that.
One of our greatest blessings or honor is to bear forth the truth of the light of the one true God. You realize that one of the things we've been created for is to be image bearers. Image bearers. Israel, and John put it this way uh, very well last week, Israel had the opportunity in order to declare the glory of God. And part of the sad story here is that they were diminished, they had neglected the word of God, and as a result, the glory of God, the truth of who he really is, was diminished because they began to look just like every other nation around them. They began to participate in pagan idolatry and immorality and all the different things. And as a result, the one true God, the light of the glory of Israel, was not seen clearly. Folks, when we begin to neglect the word of God and we begin to walk in such a way that we look just like the world, we walk like what we used to be, what we've been saved out of. Wow, what a sad moment. Our true honor and blessing is to bear forth the truth of the light of the one true God. In the midst of the exile, we get these moments where you see certain men and certain women who bear forth the light of the truth of the glory of God in the midst of the dark environment that they're in. Daniel's given some of the most important prophecies in Scripture. The coming of the Messiah from the time the decree to rebuild the wall is given. It's an absolutely amazing story. It's one of the greatest prophecies in the Old Testament because it's time-dated and you can't get around it. And to the day, from the moment that decree went out to rebuild the wall to the day Messiah walked into Jerusalem, absolutely certain, right on, indescribable. Only God can accomplish that. The 70 weeks of Daniel, we're going to look at that in a few months as we get into the end times. The rise and fall of nations leading into the end times. Daniel's given some of the most amazing prophecies, some of the most amazing visions of the times to come. Ezra begins rebuilding the wall, stops due to opposition, but he works on putting together the canon of the Old Testament. Wow. Nehemiah is given the decree by Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall and does so. Esther helps save Israel from Haman, the help of her uncle Mordecai. <laughs> that story's incredible. Don't you love Esther? It's just amazing. Well, if I go to the king, he might kill me because if I haven't been invited. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. Wow. Courage. Courage. We come to the end of the Old Testament with prophecies by Zephaniah and others about the millennium, the coming Messiah, the forward-looking, the rule of Israel and peace on earth, the hope of a new day where the people of God are walking with the Lord. Man, oh man, I mean, it's just the richness of these prophecies and the testimony about God and who he is and the people of God walking with the Lord. In the midst of all this, I, I really want to just focus in on two, because to me, these two, they're my heroes. We talk about needing heroes, and I love sports, but you know what? When we start calling people who play sports heroes, ah, heroes are people like World War II vets. 
People who have fought in battles for our freedom, who have given their lives. Heroes are people of the faith who, in spite of opposition and in spite of insurmountable odds, walked with God in such a way that we have an encouragement. We have an opportunity to look at people who know God and they didn't fear and they they acted based on what God had led them to do and what he told them to do and the power of God in the midst of all these circumstances to, to reveal the glory of God. Those are heroes. Two of my favorite heroes are Josiah and Daniel. I could, I could study these two guys. I can't wait to meet these guys. Three things as we look at them. First of all, resolute. Resolute. Secondly, faithful. And last, sold out. Sold out. Resolute, Josiah. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, we get a picture of this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. Say that ten times, right? He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, did you catch that? He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father, David. Grand, 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 grandfather. Josiah came on the scene many years later, but was obviously in the line of David. Nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. What a testimony. Isn't that what you want about your life? Isn't that what you would once said about you? I know I want to set about me. Not related to David. But that I didn't turn to the right or to the left. That I walked with God wholeheartedly, unashamedly. You know, there's so many different things about Josiah. I want to focus in on a couple things. When he became king and several years after this, one of the first things he did that's recorded for us is he attended to the seat of worship in the kingdom, which is what? The temple. He began to take up offerings for the temple and listen to this, the temple had been damaged and was in need of repair. Now folks, I want to suggest there's, there's a whole lot of pictures in this. Sometimes what happens is, is, is we look at our nation and we look at different things and we say, oh, we need repair. We need to get things dealt with out there. We, we need to work on making sure everything's taken care of and fixed. But the reality of it is we need to go to the, the seat of worship and we need to, to work on the very central aspect of worship. And for us, it's not a place it's not a temple, it's our hearts. The temple in, Old, in the Old Testament was the place where God came to reside and make his presence known. It's where all worship was to take place, where all the sacrifices were to take place. And Josiah recognized that the temple was in need of repair. What does that suggest? It suggests that it had been neglected. And it's not just the building that had been neglected, it was the worship of the one true God that had been neglected. And as a result of that, we can begin to recognize that if you 
neglect the worship of the one true God at the very center of what it means to worship, the very heartbeat of what it means to worship, you're going to have impact outside of that. And clearly there was. There were all kinds of high places in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas where people were worshiping pagan idols. The people and the spiritual health of the people of God was not good, to say the least. But it had to start at the seat of worship. And I would suggest to you, the question for us is, are our hearts in need of repair? How are we in our walk with the Lord? How's the state of our worship of God from the very essence of who we are, our hearts? There's a lot of problems out there that need to be taken care of, no question. But what about right here? What about our hearts? Where are we? Because if we don't get that taken care of, the rest of this stuff, it's band-aids, folks. It's band-aids. Well, I love his response to the word of God. They begin to clean up the, the temple. They begin to go through and get it all worked out, and they find the book of the law. They bring it to Josiah, and they read it to Josiah, and he tears his clothes into anguish. What a picture of repentance. What a picture of respect for the one true God. He asks Hilkiah and the priest Shaphan the scribe along with others to inquire of the Lord as they had not listened to the words of this book. He immediately recognized we are not rightly related with our covenant God. And what are we going to do about this? So in 2 Kings chapter 22 verses 18 and following the prophetess gives this response to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Wow. Repentance. Anguish. Because of the word of God and because of his willingness to hear the word of God and to heed the word of God. Folks, there's a lot of people that like to listen to the word of God. There's a lot of people that like to get all kinds of puffed up stuff about how much they know about the word of God. But all of a sudden when the rubber meets the road and we are called to walk with God in the midst of life and the circumstances of life, suddenly it's like crickets chirping. Where are the people of God? What happened? We're told not to shrink away. We're told to stand firm. There's all kinds of people that have all kinds of knowledge about God's word. But the question is, are we in God's timing, in his strength, in his grace and power, walking with him to actually do what he says for us to do? Well, Josiah did just that. He took the idols out of the temple. Listen, folks, they had idols in the temple. 
And he cleared it out. He started with that. He began to repair the temple. They find the book of the law. He responds to the book of the law in anguish and repentance and recognizes the need for spiritual health. And he clears out the Baals and the Ashtoreth, all this pagan idolatry that they had placed into the very temple. He starts there. Oh, man. It's the epicenter. The earthquake has begun. And he not only destroys the high places in his own kingdom, the southern kingdom, but he goes actually into the northern kingdom that had already been taken into exile by Assyria. And he destroys the idols and places of worship there, even the place where Jeroboam the king had established pagan idolatry so that the people from the north wouldn't go down to Jerusalem in the south. Man, I love this guy. He didn't just stop with his borders. He said, we're going to take this and we're going to go where God is supposed to be and we're going to take out all this idolatry and immorality and we are going to make sure not only our kingdom but also the northern kingdom is worshiping the one true God. He gets rid of the witches and those who practice divination as a means to discern divine will. Not only was the worship impacted from Jerusalem and the temple, but all the high places in the south as well as on into the north are taken out so that people begin to understand they're to worship the one true God with hearts that are yielded to the Lord. But they begin to recognize that the only way to discern divine will is through the word of God. And so he takes out all those who practice divination. That would come to people and say, well, if you just pay me, uh, we'll figure out what your future holds and make sure that you know how to walk in it. That's sin. It's witchcraft. It's rebellion against God. He takes that out. And then I love the fact that he reinstituted the Passover. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 22, it says, Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah. Wow. What's the Passover a picture of? Salvation, right? It's a a picture of God saving and rescuing Israel out of Egypt. It's a picture of salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Do you realize that Jeremiah prophesied during this time? Do you realize that Isaiah had already given his book that Josiah was able to have all these, all these prophecies about the coming Messiah, that he understood the Davidic promises concerning the Messiah that would ultimately come through Josiah? Oh, I love it. He looked forward and he recognized the coming of the king and he believed. And as a result, he begins to institute reforms so that the people of God would stop neglecting the word of God. That they would once again begin to worship the one true king. 2 Kings 23, 25 says this, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Wow. Folks, what a picture. What a hero. What a hero. He was resolute. He loved God and his word. And in the midst of a dark time, he was used by God to reveal the light of the glory of God. 
What, what's our heart condition when it comes to worship? What's our heart condition when it comes to the worship of the one true God? Is it all about spiritual knowledge? Or is it about walking with God in obedience? To hear and to heed. To obey. To say yes, Lord. And for us, praise God, the Holy Spirit lives in us to empower us, to strengthen us, to do the very things that he demands of us. Are we walking with him? Well, secondly, faithful. Faithful. Daniel. Daniel and his friends. Oh, are these guys awesome or what? Are these guys awesome? Come on, folks. If you can't get excited about Daniel and his friends, I don't even know what to tell you. You know? Josiah, Daniel, good night. Can you imagine being up in heaven worshiping the Lamb together with these guys? I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Daniel and his friends. He starts out, he was of the royal court in some way, shape, or form. He was related uh, undoubtedly to David and obviously the line of kings as a result. He gets over to Babylon, and one of the first things we find is that he was taken because he was good-looking, he was smart. They wanted some people from all these different nations. Nebuchadnezzar's uh, philosophy of ruling was to make sure you take the best and the brightest, bring them into Babylon, and get them assimilated. It's actually not too stupid, to be honest. But what did Daniel do? Rather, what did he not do? They were given all the food. They were given all the best to the king's table. And Daniel and his friends says, we, we don't need to eat this stuff. You know, I think that's an amazing picture. Teenagers, folks, teenagers who are willing in the midst of a culture where they had been taken into exile, they had been placed with people from all over the world that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon had conquered, and they were put at the table, and they were basically said, here's the best of this land. And they were willing to stand and take a stand and say, no, no, that's not according to the word of God. We're not going to participate in this. Well, they become leaders. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar's... (laughs) He's an interesting dude, isn't he? I mean, talk about insecure. So he tells his scribes, well, you, you interpret the dream for me, but uh, I'm not going to tell you what the dream actually was. You got to tell me what the dream is and then tell me the interpretation. And they said, do what? What? And so Nebuchadnezzar goes into one of his psychotic rages and fits and says, kill them all. Well, Daniel and uh, the rest of the guys, they hear about this, and they say, hey, oh, wait a second, wait a minute. Let us pray. Give us a day. Give us some time. We're going to pray to the one true God and see if he would see fit in order to let us know what this is. And God does. And Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar, and no one only tells him what the dream is, but tells him the interpretation of the dream. And the end of it is that Nebuchadnezzar bows down before Daniel. <laughs> Amazing. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. I love this. Daniel could have used this for his own benefit. Wow, boy, have I climbed this ladder. Daniel 2, 28 says, However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. In other words, he didn't take credit for himself. He said, look at what God has done. I didn't come up with this. God did. 
faithful. Faithful to follow the word of God. Faithful to testify about the greatness of God. Well, the dream is something that Nebuchadnezzar twists and ultimately makes a a statue to himself out of this narcissistic guy. But the dream involves Babylon being the head of gold and Medo-Persian, the kings and the nations that were coming up, the second kingdom, Greece, the third, the bronze, Rome, the fourth, the iron and the pottery and the feet. And the final kingdom is the divine kingdom where a rock is, uh, a boulder is carved out of a rock and it comes and smashes the idol. And this kingdom will last forever. And the testimony from Daniel, from God, through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar is, hey, you may be that nation of gold, and you may be at the top, but there's a divine kingdom that's going to last forever. Well, he goes and he makes this image, right? And we, we see this out in the plain where they put this probably 60-foot-high statue of gold, and everybody's supposed to bow down, and who does not? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, crazy names, but great guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow down. And I love what happens when they're brought before uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar kind of gives them an out. Hey, I'll let you think about this a little bit. I'm going to kill you if you don't do this, but I'll let you think about it a little bit. And I love their response in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. What a picture of faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. Man, I'd have liked to have been there for that. Amen? What a picture. And what happens? They throw them into the fire. It's so hot, the guys throwing them in fall over dead. And who appears with them in the midst? Nebuchadnezzar's looking and he goes, did we throw three in? Who's that fourth guy? I believe it's Christophany, I believe that's Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. And they're brought out. He calls them out. They walk out. They walk out. Are you kidding me? They don't even have the smell of smoke on them. <laughs> and Nebuchadnezzar goes, oh, there's one true God, and we're going to worship him, and everybody's supposed to worship him, you know? Unbelievable. The tree, the vision given to Nebuchadnezzar, the tree depicting Nebuchadnezzar and his fall due to his arrogance and pride, the fact that he spent seven years like a wild beast, and God finally comes down. What an unbelievable story. And Nebuchadnezzar, I believe we're going we're gonna to see him in heaven. He gives a testimony about God that's amazing. He absolutely declares that he is the one true sovereign God. Later on, when we find his probably great-great-grandson, Belshazzar, And the handwriting on the wall, one of the things that Daniel says to Belshazzar is, you know that Nebuchadnezzar testified to the one true God, and you have refused to listen to that testimony. And as a result, many, many, Tekel Eupharsin, you have been found wanting, and the kingdom's going to be taken from you tonight. Man, Nebuchadnezzar interesting story of God's sovereignty in the midst of an individual's life. 
Well, what happens? He makes enemies, Daniel does. And his faithfulness to pray regarding the decree made by Darius. Those guys come to Darius and say, oh, we got a great idea, Darius. Ah, We're going to get Daniel, but we're not going to tell you about it. Here's how we're going to get Daniel. We know that Daniel prays every day. And so we're going to have you make a decree. Obviously, they didn't tell Darius of this. They lifted him up, flattered him. Watch out for flattery. Right? Flattery is just nonsense. But Darius signs into law. Oh, I'm the only one that everybody's supposed to pray to. And what do the guys do? They leave the chamber of Darius. <laughs> it says, Daniel, upon hearing the decree, immediately went into his room and began to pray. <laughs> Isn't that great? Okay, guys, great. Now, I'm not praying to Darius. I'm praying to the one true God. And what happens? He gets thrown into the lion's den. And I love how Daniel testifies of the faithfulness of God in shutting the mouths of the lions to Darius. Daniel was given visions concerning the end times, one of which was the Son of Man coming in the clouds, which is the phrase, the Son of Man, that the Lord used most often to describe himself. There's no question that Daniel read Scripture. In Daniel 9.2, we see that he was searching the books. And he was reading about the prophet Jeremiah and how the time of Judah would spend in exile would be 70 years. And as they came to the end of that seven years, he he becomes a bit distraught and he goes to the Lord and asks the Lord, Lord, this is what you said in your word. What are you going to do with the people of God? And his confession and his prayer of repentance, including himself in the midst of all this, how we have sinned. Just beautiful. He's given the prophecy of the time of the Messiah, the 70 weeks of Daniel. I love how the angel sent to him in chapter 10, verse 11, to give him a message with regard to one of his requests. The angel calls Daniel a man of high esteem. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Man of high esteem. Daniel was faithfully loved God, his word, and in the midst of a dark time, he was used by the Lord to reveal the glory of God, the light of the truth of God. Let me ask you something. In our dark time, are we willing to stand so that God in and through us would reveal the glory of the truth of who he really is? We're going to shy away all this PC nonsense. You can't even tell somebody Merry Christmas. Sold out. Resolute, faithful. Josiah was resolute. Followed God with all his heart. Daniel, absolutely faithful in the midst of unbelievable circumstances throughout all his life, through the different kingdoms that he served to testify of the glory of God. They were sold out. What about us? What about us? These men and women such as Josiah, Daniel, and his friends, Esther, Mordecai, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the list goes on. Men and women used by God for such a time as they found themselves in, times that they didn't necessarily have any control over, times that they found that they were in the midst of. The question was, are they going to serve God? Are they going to walk with God? Are they going to uh, take that stand in such a way that it literally could cost them their lives? 
and unequivocally and unashamedly, they stood for the king. Unequivocally and unashamedly. Hebrews 11.38 describes all the individuals, this hall of faith, and it says, men whom the world was not worthy. Think about that. Think about that. Are we compromising our walk with the Lord? Neglecting the word of God? Boy, maybe we even, we, we, we know the word of God. We may know some of the things about the word of God. The question is, are we walking with God? Are we heeding what we're hearing? What's the state of our hearts, the seat of worship? Are our hearts in need of repair? Folks, one of the things that I find unbelievable is the busyness of people. I say it to myself as much as anybody else. Nobody can do certain things. Well, I'm too, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I got too many things going on. You know what? Maybe we ought to check our priorities. Maybe we need to check our priorities. When sports begin to dominate life, we, may, we probably need to check our priorities. When, when you fill in the blank, when it begins to dominate your life and you can't walk with God, you can't serve the Lord, you have become dull and hearing as a result of the activity and the busyness that may even be good, but it's not the best. It's not what God wants. You've drawn boxes in your life to say, this is what I'm going to do in order to serve God, and this is as far as I'm going to go. Friend, we're going to allow God to break that box apart and say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you no matter what. Maybe it's time for the people of God to reevaluate. Have we neglected the word of God to the point where the light of the glory of Christ is diminished within the body of Christ in such a way that the world looks at us and says, why do we want anything to do with you? You look no different than us. You're just as busy. You're just as stressed. You're just as worried about the future. You're just as worried about all the financial stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Folks, the grace of God, the opportunity to walk with the Lord and to experience him. Who here doesn't love the end of the story with Daniel and the lion's den? Let me ask you something. You don't think that Daniel was fearful in the midst of that? And yet, he was faithful. Are we sold out? Are all our finances, all our time, everything that we are given over to the Lord? Say, Lord, we want to walk with you no matter what. No matter what. Ephesians 5, 7 through 8 says, Therefore, do not... Be partakers with them, unbelievers. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And in Philippians, Paul puts it this way in chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He says, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Holding fast the word of life, the message of Christ. Walk as children of light. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. 
please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.